Coming to you live, this is your MTG Action Forward News Team. Hello, this is MTG Action 4 News, your news team for keeping things fresh in the multiverse. I'm Mr. Comet number 5, providing you new ways to lose your friends. Then we have Big Tuck, your breaking news source. Yes, as I'm known to say, when I play others with high-level decks, and I'm playing my jank build of the week, why don't you come down sometime and see me? Squee McGee getting caught up on meta traffic with the Weatherlight Report. Um, we'll, 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 we'll address this. We'll address this shortly. Then we have the head of CMD Tower himself. Well, it looks like he has phased out from the newscast. Hey, does anyone know how phasing works IRL? Judge! It's a dumb mechanic. We're going to start off the top of the castle, ladies, in Carnage that ensued with 45 So, uh, I know you have a good one. I know you have a good yes. one, because, yes. Yes, uh, I was able to get some online uh, magic in on Ooh. Sunday. Uh, we couldn't do uh, in-person uh, events, so was able to snag in with Cameron the Tree Folk Lord, uh, Sir Lord of Leaves, uh, we got, of course, Spencer Rabbits. We had Lemony Lennings. We had Hamburger Demon Poop at one point. Wow. It was awesome. Got to play games with a lot All of the different people. All the rogues galleries. Um, and there's not like a specific game I want to talk about. I just want to talk about some ridiculous nonsense that happened. Because yes. it was, it yes. was fantastic. Yes. 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 So game one, it was actually uh, Tree Folk Lords, their Sephiroth deck they built as a dungeon deck. And I had my Aloro deck in there. Uh, and that's really all that matters, just to be frank. Because at one point, my life total was 90-something. Uh, it, sure. it was more than everyone else's life combined times two. And then Cameron, good God, if you ever play the Sephiroth deck tuck, it's filthy. Uh, really? Yeah, stuff was dying every turn. He was completing dungeons almost one a rotation. He kept doing like wow. the, the mad wizard one where it's like the scry one, do something scry two, mm -hmm. do something scry three, then bring stuff back from your graveyard, which also his commander does. I mean, it just, it was absolutely phenomenal to see it. And it got me even more excited wow. to build my dungeon deck and help me feel better about the Sephiroth pick as well. Cause me and Tuck had talked offline and did that. So the, the cool thing about that game, outside of just Cameron doing filthy things, he uh, nimbled obstructionist cycle countered me a few different times. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. It's like I was trying to resolve some effects and it's like uh, counter target activated or triggered ability. And he did it a few different times. So um, wow. that sucked. But I got to do one of the that best sucked. command the dread hordes ever. I ended up spending Ooh. like 28 life and I was still at 60 something. <laughs> I ended up stealing like six or seven creatures. I think one of them was an Elish Norn. Uh, it was oh, God. Yeah, it was so good. Wait, who won? Uh, with all I'm that? pretty sure Cameron won that game. Uh, okay. I, I did not. Uh, and then another cool thing that ended up happening uh, a little bit later on was around oh uh, what were we playing oh it, it was I, I don't remember the specifics of all the decks that we were playing i just remember i pissed off brian uh so i felt complete 
uh, ended up casting a yep, on brand. Uh, I, I, yeah, I ended up just doing like uh, getting rid of certain enchantments and artifacts, and I ended up targeting like everything on Brian's board. When I'm pretty sure, I think it was Hamburger Demon Poop. No, no, because he played in the last game. I think it might have been Spencer. Ended up having like impact trimmers and all of the stuff, and we ended up losing to infinite squirrels, just burning us out and milling our <laughs> libraries. Um, sure. So, uh, yeah. Now, overall, uh, details extremely hazy. Uh, the games were extremely sure. fun, and I got a lot of magic in. I was quite surprised. Good. So, Tuck, tell us about your games. <laughs> so it's funny. I have like the reverse, the opposite of you, because normally. You were playing IRL. I am playing otherwise, right? So I actually played a lot of IRL magic. I played on Saturday and then again on Tuesday. Um, and again, like there wasn't anything that's... Mine's kind of the opposite of okay. just like there wasn't any crazy plays that uh, happened or anything gotcha. like that. It was more of like interesting things happened in my deck. So I have uh, been Maze's End. Adios Maze's End. Really? You're and done? I played, I played it recently in one-off Maze's End. And I was like, it's stupid. Like I'm kind of... One thing that I've realized playing with this new group is that they are very, they are way less like it's a lot. There's a lot more interaction. There's a lot more politicking. There's a lot more like bizarre plays that people aren't optimizing. So these decks that are for me aren't that I've been kind of toying with the idea of breaking apart kind of have now drove me to break it apart. So I tried my new, uh, this is based off of Tomer's, one of Tomer's build. It's Rakdos Dragon Engine, but all charms. It's all it's like a spell slinger with all charms. Okay. And I was pretty excited about it. Uh, I got to cast two spells in the game because my mana base has not been fixed yet. So that kind of sucked. But the good news is I got to... I've also slowly been upgrading the very generous gift from the Kansas City Magic community of the, the Hizazon Tamar build. And it's actually getting close to something that's like playable and also borderline good. <laughs> well, that's good. Uh, I'm, I'm I got glad to it's almost playable. I, I finally got Hizazon Tamar to cast twice. Um, and it just so, and I was, it was looking very good. Um, it just wasn't fast enough. So there's still a few cuts to be made there. Um, and then on Tuesday, the only thing I really want to say about that game is uh, I played my Azorius build, which I don't play very often, right? The t token rigmarole. And literally, I had no action except for like a turn four or five true conviction that gave all my creatures double strike and lifelink. And that was it. I played that one spell and then that turned me into the arch enemy. It turned me into people making stupid decisions. <laughs> and literally, I was like, okay, so I got like three, I got like three on one gang banged. Uh, or if, as I prefer to the term, GR'd, and uh, it was not fun. And then I literally was like, okay, I'm going to die. I'm going in for another drink. When I come back, this is what's going to happen. Either I'm going to be happy because you won because you didn't listen to me, or I'm, I'm going to be happy because you lost. Like, like, there's two people that were going to win. One of the two of them was going to win. And it, both times I won internally because it's like you either didn't listen to me or you didn't attack me or you didn't talk to me when it was happening. And so that was like a kind of Pyrrhic victory, if you will, mm. on that one. All right. Well, you know, I, uh, I'm i glad to hear that your play group sounds like it's more politicky because I imagine that's something you enjoy. Granted, oh, very much so. Uh, it seems like you're frustrated because it sounds like your politicking isn't working because they aren't listening to you. So they're not the. It's less of a, it's less, it's less of that and more of like, it's, I am now, I now understand how you feel in a lot of games. Cause I tell them like, 
listen, I don't care if you think I'm the perceived threat. This is what's going to happen yep. if you continue this course of action. And then it happens. I'm like, why didn't you even listen to me or ask me what was going on here? So, um, but no, it's fun. There, I, I've, I've kind of settled in with a new group that's, there's two groups here in Charlotte. One of them is a lot more degenerate and a little bit more combo paced. And then one of them is a lot more fun. Like there's some newer ish players or players that are getting back into it. So there's not, it's not like a nuclear's arms race of being like, I have to win on turn five or whatever. Um, it's a lot, the games kind of go a little bit longer and are, are a lot more filled with interaction, which for me is like kind of a nice change of pace. Yeah, no, totally sounds that way. Oh, all right. Well, that's going to wrap up 40 life at a dash. Now to cover what's going on in your local multiverse. What? What's the plane chase? And welcome to another first of season three installment of our much beloved deck therapy series. Ooh. This bit, we take a user submitted deck from our discord deck therapy channel, which Mr. Combo, you can access how? By joining our Patreon, patreon.com slash CMD tower and literally just for a dollar a month. Yes, uh, and you can submit your decks there. And then we here on the CMD Tower crew find three cards to add. One that's a Woodmill Slam Dunk, a Greasy. One that may have some synergies, but might need a few reps to keep it in the deck, a Slimy. And one that is way out there, but still fits the theme of the deck, a Sweaty One. And now, without further ado, lean back into our leather sofa. Me and Mr. Combo are both wearing jackets that have patches on the elbow. And the therapy is in session. So today, a uh, longtime lurker, too much of a coward to show his face in the quarantine battlegrounds. Papa Dio himself <laughs> submitted a build that looks pretty slick. He, he is calling this Mono Red Aristocrats. He had a very long, a very detailed explanation of how this deck is to work, which is as follows. And I quote, okay, so this is a bit of a wild one. I know Mr. Combo also plays this Shrai deck, comma, imagine that, comma, but Mono Red, comma, and with some Dragons and Treasure recursion thrown in for value. That's it. <laughs> yes. But he was he was kind of now to be fair, he was kind enough to he was unkind enough to use uh architect, which is the worst. Yes. It's the worst. It's terrible. Um but he was kind enough to kind of put them into categories so we have a See, clue this, of what this actually deck is confused to do. me more than if they were just Wait, really? normal <laughs> stuff. <laughs> like I'm trying to go down here and see like stuff and it's like what do we tutor for? What must it, it took me dot dot I don't know. Yeah, what must we get to win? Recurring the things, uh, and then also I had to I had to poke around an architect because I refused to use it and try to figure out how I can just get a list of things when I was trying to find the cards <laughs> to add because I didn't want to make sure they weren't already in the deck. So that took entirely too long. Uh, architect is the worst. You literally just However, click views and sort, and I know, that's but it. like then you Text. still. But you still you still have the problem of when you hover over a card, the image comes up and blocks all the cards underneath it. So you have to like work your way from the bottom up. I don't, whoever likes this is, is moronic. But uh, so this is a bizarre build that I think is kind of interesting, led by Magda Brazen Outlaw. Mr. Combo, why don't you go ahead and read the card text on this Dwarf Berserker? Yeah, so this is going to be a colorless red legendary creature Dwarf Berserker. It's a rare 2-1 from Cold Hive. And it states, other dwarves you control get plus one plus oh. Whenever a dwarf Might as well be blank. control becomes tapped, create a treasure token. And now the more important oh. part that people did get a little excited yes. about, sack five treasures, search your library for an artifact or dragon card, put that straight to the battlefield and shelf your library, a la somewhat of a Tamiyo's journal type of effect. Yes. 
Uh, so what were your initial thoughts after first figuring out how everything's categorized and then trying to play the mental gymnastics of figuring out what this deck is supposed to do and how it works? Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm still struggling a little bit. <laughs> um, I would say Mono Red Shirai is uh, giving maybe Magda a little too much credit because she can't really break stuff back <laughs> from the graveyard. Uh, but I do get it to where I guess you're, you're, you're wanting to sacrifice things. You're kind of slowly draining people. You know, you do have some bomb dragons in here that you can go get. You do have some really nice artifacts as well to kind of keep the value going. So I definitely see this as straight value dot deck. But mm -hmm. do I see how it like truly wins and kind of establishes itself with a table? I don't see that quite yet, but maybe through some couples therapy, I will. Oh, yes, uh, I agree. I think it's I, I do. I do have to give credit where credit's due is that this is definitely something that mono red doesn't really do well. And I can't say I've ever actually seen a mono red deck that looks or reads like this at all, right? You kind of have like your treasure sub themes and some some tokens and like a little bit of recursion, but the problem is it's mono red. Yeah. So you don't have a whole lot of options there, uh, which we might be getting into a little bit later as well. Yeah. But you know, go ahead. Oh, no, but I was at, like my last, I was just gonna say, it seems like an interesting build, um, something that, you know, probably took a lot more thought than how I put into most of my decks. Yeah, and I actually think instead of looking at this like mono red aristocrats, aristocrats dot Shirai deck, I think you should actually convert this into a mono red vehicle SRAM version of a deck Ooh. because you're always, you know, your dwarves can crew. I see you do have a couple vehicles in here that create your mm -hmm. treasures. You sack your treasures to go get more vehicles for your dwarves. I want to say that there are several dwarves that actually give vehicle effects from. Mm -hmm. um, oh gosh, I'm drawing a blank. What is it? Uh, Aether yeah. Revolt. Aether Re Kaladesh. Kaladesh. There we go. Aether Revolt. I think Kaladesh is a block, card. Yeah. That also might be a set. No, no, that's the second one. It's Kaladesh oh, okay. Aether Revolt. Um, yeah. And so there are mono red dwarves in those that, you know, will get flying or first strike or haste and stuff like that. So I think that could actually be a cool kind of shift for the deck. But I don't know. Maybe, maybe as we talk and therapize, we'll be able to figure out how we will seize the spoils. That's a card in the deck. Absolutely. Ooh, very good. Uh, so, like I said, again, just as, a recommendation, just as the cards we're recommending, one is a slam dunk, a greasy one, one has some synergies but needs some reps, a slimy one, and one that is way out there but still fits the theme of the deck, a sweaty one. So, Mr. Combo, why don't you start with what you feel is going to be a windmill slam dunk in this deck? So, I understand that you're trying to go for the whole aristocrats theme. A lot of my recommendations are actually going to be more generic good stuff for Magda because I, mm, I, I okay. think... With this deck, with her third activated ability with the sack five treasures, go get a dragon or artifact. I think you could actually do some very, very small tweaks to the deck and probably take the power level from like a five or a six up to like a seven or an eight. You know, your blight steel colossuses of the world, dark steel colossuses. Sure, yeah. um, so that's kind of where my recommendations are going to be. And the fact that you have a dwarves deck and you don't flipping run seven dwarves. What the hell? <laughs> uh, colorless red creature dwarf 2-2. Two, two. Seven dwarves gets plus one, plus one for each other creature named seven dwarves you control. A deck can have up to seven cards named seven dwarves. Um, I think this is the windmill slam dunk. 
Um, they're never, you know, and I run a seven dwarfs deck, unless you have ways of making sure. token copies of them. Even if you get all seven out and they're now eight eights, they're not really scaring that many people because they have no evasion. They have no trample. They have nothing like that. Right, right, right. But having these seven dwarves and having a bunch of them, they're great blockers. Uh, you could still tap them using all of your other effects and then getting treasures out of them. So I would like to see seven cards eliminated to get seven dwarves in mm -hmm. here because this will feed more into that third ability of Magda. Right, yeah, I agree. Um, I think seven dwarves are probably like, ironically, some of the seven best dwarves have ever been printed, especially when they're on theme. So yeah, so I like that. I, I do think leaning into that because as we talked about when we were going through the commander, it's kind of like blank text, blank text, something that matters. So at least getting some value out of those first two on a two drop commander, I think is actually is really important. So great start. Yeah, and, great start. And it's only 34 cents. So like even, really? yeah, even if you buy seven of them and what's that like two bucks, three, two fifty. Yeah. Like even if it doesn't work, whatever you wasted two fifty. right now. Now, to be, to be fair, a lot of times when we say that, it's like, you'll be able to find a home for this, but I'm not exactly <laughs> sure what you'll do with that, but still, it's, I think it's worth to spend the dice on $2.50, whatever it comes for into. For sure. So, uh, my first windmill slam is, it seems like there's not, this seems like there's a few handful of cards that deal with creatures being sacrificed and then dealing damage. It kind of seems like that's a weird, that's kind of like a win con. So for me, a great card, in my opinion, would be Terror of the Peak. Ooh, so yeah. three colorless, red, red for a creature dragon. It's a mythic rare for about $20. Flying, spells that your opponents, it's a 5-4, spells that your opponents cast that target Terror of the Peaks, cost additional three life to cast. And then whenever another creature enters the battlefield under your control, it deals uh, damage equal to that creature's power to any target. So if you're bringing creatures in and you have terror out, if you tutor them for early, it's going to deal damage. If you're reanimating creatures back into, it's going to deal damage. If you do your, your little loop-de-loop -loop of sacrifice to maybe a goblin bombardment or something like that, deal your damage, bring him back out, deals damage again. I just feel that Terror of the Peaks is going to get you the value that you want on the front side of the reanimation loops that you're going through. Yeah, I completely agree. And the nice thing about this, it is just an ETB. So even as you activate your commander's third effect, you know, it's not on cast. It's not, you know, from your hand. It just cares about it coming to the battlefield. So that's th exactly that's great. And I'll tell you, I recently played Terror of the Peaks two, three weeks ago when we did in-person magic. And people always forget that it'll lightning bolt you if you target it. Because I oh yeah, yeah I was right. doing some work in my Xerus deck, and I want to say, I think it was uh, the goad was like, hey, I'm going to get rid of that. And it's like, oh, you're going to take three? And he was like, why? He got real offended. And I was like, uh, it says <laughs> it on the card. And he was like, oh, uh, all right. And I was like, ha ha. Yeah. Lightning bolt. It's just always, it's just always a it's always a feel bad. It's always a feel bad when you have to take a lightning bolt. Uh, play more lightning bolts. All right, Mister Combo. On to something that that's not an immediate slam dunk. It's a little maybe slimy around the edges, but you know something that you think might might be a good fit. Yep, absolutely. Once again, I'm all in on this commander, trying to make her effect significantly more valuable. Well, Dwarven Blood Boiler is one I think you should experiment with. Blood boiler. Red, red, red. Dwarf. It's a legend. Or a legend. Oh. It's a rare from, I believe, Prophecy? No, Judgment. Oh, uh, close. Yeah, attaboy. Um, and so it's a 2-2, two -two, but here's why I think it's amazing. 
Tap and untap dwarf you control. Target creature gets plus two plus so till end of turn. A, you can just tap. You can leave, literally leave everything up for blocks. It goes to combat the turn right before you. It doesn't even say a creature you control. It's just target creature. So, you know, if Tuck goes <laughs> right uh, before me, he goes to combat and he's like, well, Mr. Combo has this massive army. I guess I'll just swing my my uh, tutu zombie over at Mr. Magoo because I just want to get in for a little taste. I just want a little, want a little yeah, level. I want to just give, I want a little taste. I just want and a taste. You know what I, I would say? It's like, hey, Big Tuck, how about I give you plus 20 on that guy for an additional taste? Ooh. Instant speed. I make all of those treasures and now I'm helping, I'm almost politicking to my uh, yes. opponents in combat. So I think this, I might be beefing this up to sound like it's a slam dunk. The only reason I don't think it's a slam dunk is it is an untapped dwarf you control. So you got to make sure you right. have enough dwarves on the battlefield, which I think that's the strategy. And it is just target creature gets plus two plus so um, you should hopefully have some now, good targets for it. But, you know, that that is kind of a meh. But Mr. Combo, he does run a copy of Maskwood Nexus. So all those things, if you really want to go down that path, yeah. if you wanted to. You couldn't talk about that, but so, I agree. I agree with you. Uh, if I think this deck needs a little bit more dwarves just to make your commander do more, and this is one of the better ones. Also reflected by its price point at eighteen dollars yeah. for no Whoa. reason. <laughs> I guess a lot of people really like running Magda, which uh, I haven't seen. But what do yeah, I? Know? And then hey, if you want to get the foil copy, a cool forty-two dollars. Oh my gosh! <laughs> I mean, it is a foil of from Judgment, so it is like twenty years sure, old. Sure, yes. So I, I guess I kind of understand why it's double the price. But good lord, eighteen and forty-one. This is one yeah. that you might need to uh, see if your play group will let you play test it before you buy it uh, to see you know yeah. before you drop a twenty piece. Yeah, because if you if this card doesn't work, then what? <laughs> yeah, that, like oh. you thought seven dwarves was unplayable in other decks. This is a hundred percent unplayable in other <laughs> yeah, decks. This is way worse. <laughs> oh man. Oh god. All right, Tuck. Wait, do you run Mag? Wait, real quick. Do you run Magda and that other dwarf in your no, in your Brutalclad deck? Absolutely not. Why not? Let's go. I only have oh, yeah, seven oh, dwarves yeah. in there. It's just seven dwarves. <laughs> I forgot. That. All right, so uh, this one's this is just because I don't part of aristocrats to me is like repeatable effects, and I there's a few things in here, but a lot of them are kind of like I would say sweaty in terms of how they work and getting things back. So to me, um, your old pal Felden of the Third Path, speaking of oh. paths to victory, seems like he'd be a good uh, it's something interesting to try. So it's a colorless red red for legendary creature, human artificer. Uh, it's a two three. He's a mythic. And then for two colorless and a red, you can tap tap it uh, and then create a token that's a copy of target creature card in your graveyard, except it's an artifact in addition to other types. It gains haste, sacrifice it at the beginning of the next end step. It's about 53 cents. So for me, this if you are going down this like creature entering the battlefield and doing stuff, this is like a loop that you can get into with like your Dockside Extortionist or whatever the case may be, right? Where... If you have these kind of loops going, you can always get the value out of it. You always have treasures that then you can cast Magda with and then sacrifice Magda to go get or tap sacrifice the remainder of treasures to go get whatever else you want from your 
from your deck. Um, and I don't know if I gloss this over, but I forgot this when Magda, when I reread Magda, it says it could be an artifact or dragon card. So I think that kind of gives it a little bit more flexibility. I'm just a little worried because it's a creature. It does die to lightning bolts and you it, you have to, you can only do it once a turn. So I'm not sure if it would be worth the juice of putting it in here and what card to cut, but I'll leave that to you, Papa Dio, because I have no idea what would be cut or put in beyond the three that I looked at. Yeah, I, I think I could see this being like the, the maybe pick for the deck. Um, now, I will say there is something to be said that if you're winning off your top end cards, your high CMC dragons, artifact creatures, stuff like that, sure. people are going to kill those. That just happens. So having right, a way yeah, exactly. to be able to constantly make a token that doesn't exile the one from your graveyard so you can still do other reanimation type of things um, is really, really important. I mean, I run a Felden of the Third mm. Path in my Brutoclad deck, uh, and it's an absolute house. I run one in my Gearid deck. It's an absolute house. Anytime you have yep. those upper end creatures uh, that are six, seven, eight CMC, five, six, seven, eight power, people are going to use removal and Felden just allows you to get that value back. And think of it this way, who's going to waste a removal spell on Felden when they know that you have all these big dragons and artifacts in the deck, they're going right, to save exactly. it for the stuff that matters. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So again, it just goes back to what paths you want to run. Ooh. And if you want to run the third path, this might be a good one for you. All right. Mr. Combo, let's get let's get wild here. How you, you said these are all kind of get good cards, yeah. so let's see if the trend can continue. What is your what is your sweaty far out pick for today? All right. So do I need to go away from the microphone? <laughs> it's not like that sweaty. It's just I don't I don't know this deck well enough to know if you're gonna make enough treasures for this to matter. So I think. If you want to for $37 also. Oh my look god. Look at a gold span dragon. It might be able oh, to work. Oh sure, yeah. Um three colorless red red creature dragon, mythic four four, flying haste. When it attacks or becomes the target of a spell, create a treasure token, and treasures you control have sack it for uh, two mana of any one color. So Obviously, you know what the value is. It's just le allowing your treasures yes. to, if you want to use them for mana and not tutoring, you can uh, get double the value. But I just don't, once again, I, I don't know how many to or how many uh, dwarves you're really going to be having to tap and create treasures. It is a dragon, so you could, in theory, tutor it with your commander, and, and right. now you have a whole bunch of mana. That could actually be like a cool little combo to where if you've made a bunch of treasures, sack five of them to tutor up this guy and then use the other five to actually turn that into 10 mana to cast like another dragon you kind of got like a two for one so i don't sure. i don't know it's just for 40 bucks i don't know if it's really the juice is worth yeah. the squeeze absolutely and i think it's like i i wonder if we talk to him again if he re if he like rejiggers what this deck actually does because to me it's like I think he really wants this to be a treasure based mm. deck more than like an aristocrats right because his, his treasure section is the biggest by a country mile comparative to only the lands so it's like okay if you want to not get cute and think of this is an aristocrat deck and just be like okay fine i give up i'm playing dwarves and treasures and dragons then i think this card is really good right i completely agree with you on that definitely probably worth the money because I, I recently played against this card and it fucking was brutal and so would you say that he could then rename the deck the hobbit you got dwarves and treasures Ooh, and dragons. Yes, 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 yes. 
then you can bling it all out in cards that you can't see on uh, <laughs> online <laughs> because they're all in foil. So you can only play it IRL. Uh, yes, uh, that it's a really good card. It's insanely good. I don't think that I was talking with someone and they're like, this price is only going to go down when it rotates. And what's that a year, yeah. two, four, who, who, who knows, right? With what they're doing anymore. Uh, so my, my kind of edge pick, uh, is another dragon. This is one of my favorite dragons. Um, unfortunately it doesn't have Monarch. He already got that covered, but as my other, one of my other favorite mechanics of the throne. So I think scourge of the throne uh. is an interesting pick, um, for Carlos double red for a five, five flyer with dethrone, uh, which means whenever this creature attacks the player with the most life or tied for the most life, put a one, one counter on it. But more importantly, it has whenever Scourge of the Throne attacks for the first time each turn, if it's attacking the player with the most life or tied for the most life, untap all attacking creatures. After this phase, there's an initial combat phase. So the reason why I put this into like the sweaty pile, if you will, is I don't know if this deck's ever going to attack, oh, nor yeah. do I know if it cares if it cares about attacking, right? It might be something that's just kind of sitting around and trying to spin its own wheel and then hope what comes out of it. Uh, I, I, I re-looked at this deck like three times this week and still was like, does he even care about going to the red zone or does he only care about sacrificing the things he yeah. has? So if you are trying to get into the red zone, I think Scourge of the Throne is a really efficient dragon to go tutor for. Um, you know, you get a one mana reduction and then you can start dealing more damage. It just goes down to the point of being like, do you want to attack? Yeah. Do you want to win through combat damage? Do you want to run through like rinse and repeat stuff? What do you, how do you want to get there? And for me, that's why Scourge of the Throne is kind of like a sweatier pick. Yeah, I, I could agree with that. But I, I would say with this, if if you're more trying to do aristocratic, dirtily stuff, I mean, I guess your commander's good because tapping your dwarves makes treasures, which kind of is like a form of ramp. But it's really that searching the artifact and dragon piece that I think is why you yes. pick this mono red commander. Um, and if you have dragons, inherently, you're going to have ones that want to attack so I think actually right. this might not even be sweaty. It might be more slimy because what you would need to do, it seems like your deck likes to get value. You're, you're almost trying to do mono red value uh, with this build. Right, right, right. And the best thing that one of the best things that dragons do is a lot of times they have these effects that will say at the beginning of combat. You know, uh, whenever you know it has some sort of when it deals damage, this happens. Just mm -hmm. like this one, when it attacks for the first time, it does this. Mm -hmm. And I think you could actually build it to where, if you want to be aristocratic and dirtily, get enough of your top end dragons and artifact creatures that do stuff at beginning of combat or when they deal combat damage, and put Scourge of the Throne in, and you can kind of have this like two tier deck. One is very battle cruisy. I'm like living in the red zone. And right. I'm hitting you in yep. the mouth. But then the other one's like, ha, I'm aristocratic. I'm drawing cards. I'm getting treasures. I'm digging you for one. I'm bringing the same creature back multiple times. You could kind of accomplish both. Right, right, right. Just tune out a little bit of your top end to do more of that beginning of combat stuff. Because with your commander being a tutor on the body, there's no reason why you wouldn't put a scourge in. Normally, the argument would be, what, you have a 1.05% chance to draw it? Why would you put a slot in your deck? It's like, no, with this, it's... Yes. I could have it out as early as I really want. It just depends on how many dwarves I get. Mm. Completely agree. So yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. Um, I still, like I said, I still looking through this deck, I kind of see some things that I like, and I kind of see a lot of things that kind of scratch my head. <laughs> so maybe with all these new cards from forgotten realms, this might turn into something that's a little bit more treasure focused. But until then, as our old pal, professor young would say, 
keep thinking of the collective unconsciousness for colorless to green. Well, that's going to wrap up What's the Plane Chase. Now in that last segment, Squeed dives into those creative juices with the weather label. Welcome back to the Weatherlight Report, coming to you live from Weatherlight Chopper. Our AOL dial-up subscription has been canceled. Welcome to the Weatherlight Report, coming in from Big Tuck's Thundering Chariot. Obviously, our good pal Squee is unbeknownst. He might be hiding somewhere. He might be hiding in interwebs, but he's not here today. So I'm taking over for him. Uh, I really wanted to go into Boros to continue that bit. I looked through the bottom of the Boros list. I'm pretty sure he's done most of, if not all of them. So I decided to switch it up a little bit. And since we're talking about bizarre decks that don't really have stronger animator themes that you can shoehorn into them, I thought we'd dig up the gum from the bottom of the collective shoe and go with an Azerus build, which is pretty much ripped full steam from either Tomer or Ultra Budget Brews. I don't remember which. But today we are talking about, I believe, Teferi's wife. Check that and also suck it for oh, those nerds. Yeah. Niambi, esteemed speaker. Chicka, 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 chicka. <laughs> we got to turn uh, a quick Yui. Uh, fact check, this is in fact Teferi's daughter, not uh, not his wife. So she is in 158 decks, according to um, our pals. I'm, I'm over. sorry, Big Tuck. I didn't hear you. I heard you crash and stop because we had to obviously do that fact check. But yes. how can we continue a Big Tuck chariot weatherlight report if we don't ever get moving again? Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> That's right, ride, you beast, ride! Yes, exactly. The Thunder and the, the Thunder Mares are back up. So, uh, Yambi, a Steam Speaker, is a legendary creature, human cleric. She's a rare, coming in for about 25 cents. A 2-1 uh, that costs Azorius right on the nose. That's a white and a blue, and she has flash. And she also has, whenever she enters the battlefield, you may search, you may return another target creature you control to its owner's hand. If you do, gain life equal to that creature's converted mana cost. And then you can pay one, uh, a blue and a, and a white tap, discard a legendary card, and draw two cards. So whoever's deck this is did have an interesting build where this kind of turns into this very bizarro value legendary recursion in these colors. It's definitely out in the wilds. And uh, to make it even better, I have only chose white cards because as if you could... If you're, I know you're going to have a hard time believing this, Mr. Combo. Not a whole lot of creature recursion what? in blue. What, what are you talking about? I know. It's crazy, I thought blue right? did it's everything. crazy. You, the, you wish. So uh, what, what do you, have you ever seen this before? What do you think? It just you know, and it's blowing my mind because uh, I do remember Niambi being talked about. And I, and I also can't remember who it was. Um, this is just such a weird commander. Um, it really seems like it should just be in the 99 if you're in like some sort of blink deck, yeah. I guess. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, just it having a home as a general, don't really get it. Um, I also wish this card was a lot more expensive because in all the uh, M21 that I opened, I think I got like seven or eight of them full art and foil. <laughs> uh, it's like Wizards knew that the card was garbage. In statement. Yeah, um... 
It's interesting, and I will say this, going into a little bit more of the deep dive of an ADH rec. So there are four themes that this deck are built under. So what do you have any guess of what those themes might be without cheesing? Okay, so I do not have EDH rec pulled up right now. So I'm going to go with blink. Yes, or ba bounce, bounce okay. but yes, effectively the same, same, same Life thing. Life gain. What? I know, wow. right? Wow. Uh, instant speed? Flash? Nope. nope. Legendary? Yes. So that is one. So we have quote unquote historic with 47 decks, reanimator with 16, the one we're building today, legends with 10, and then bounce with five, and the rest of them cannot be categorized, <laughs> uh, which, which really makes sense. So uh, the first card I'm going with. So I'm starting this off reversified because I wanted to talk about a legendary creature first that will also help us go to the end game. This is a card that I believe we have talked in the past is borderline unplayable, <laughs> but I think it might have a home in here. We are talking about Rhea Dawnbringer. Six colors, three white flyer. At the beginning of your upkeep, you better turn target creature card from your graveyard to the battlefield. So for me, this is kind of indicative of the card you've been with the uh, with her last ability, right? Draw your two, and then this is your reanimate target that then will reanimate the other big stuff in your graveyard, right? Obviously, it's horribly inefficient, and in some ways, this kind of turns into like a Marin, a horrible, terrible Marin deck. <laughs> but I'm saying, if there's a deck that this card may work in, this might be it. Who's to say? Yeah, you, you just really got to make sure you're going to be able to have a solid <laughs> ramp package to pay that nine mana for yeah. a fragile. In case, in case you can't pay... <laughs> Until, yeah, exactly. A four six with no evasion or with with no protection. Yeah, Oof. Uh, I know, I know. Um, the next one that we're coming up with. This is a card uh, that I I'm a big fan of. I think we should play it. We should see it a little bit more. It's also, I guess it's not legendary because it's a saga. But Elspeth conquers death mm. is an interesting choice in here. So three colorless, double white. Uh, it's a saga, and for those who play in the home game, as the saga enters and after your draw step, add a lore counter, sacrifice after three. That saga is so gonna work here. I'm saga. <laughs> That's going on the bit. It's going on the bits. So I just want to reread this, Mr. Combo. This is so horribly worded. As this saga enters and after your draw step, add a lore counter, sacrifice after three, the Roman numeral. Not three, it's and no wonder, no one knows no, how to play I mean, They're just so, trying to make it match because uh, they got Roman numerals on the side. I know, but I'm just saying that it doesn't make any more sense because unless, do you have Roman, do you now have to have a Roman numeral dice to, to make that Oh, work? I thought that meant you had to cut off two fingers and just have three. Oh, I see. There you go. Uh, so it, it, it does have some pretty interesting value here. So one, XL target permanent and opponent controls the mandate three or greater. Two, non-creature spells your opponent's cast cost two more to cast until your next turn. And then finally, return target creature or planeswalker card from your graveyard to the battlefield. Put a 1-1 counter or loyalty counter on it. This deck is probably going to be pretty yeah. slow. Um, it's probably not going to have a whole hell of a lot to do. So for me, I like this because it gives you two kind of free turns to kind of build up to the mm -hmm. last one. Get that big banger, that big butt, that big legendary creature into the graveyard. And then finally pull it off before this card goes off. Uh, it's slow. It's greasy, but... I don't know. Maybe. Maybe. Yeah, no, I mean, the more you kind of talk about how you would build this deck, I actually think this is just a Azorius build of my Birds of Prey deck with Esha, to where I'm, ki I'm kind of oh. using 
you know, I'm going to be such a slow game. You know, it's going to be turn eight or nine before I'm really relevant with enough equipment on Esha. Same thing here to be able to play right. the stuff out of your graveyard or cast it from your hand. And so I'm kind of seeing you'll you'll have to do like a weird stacks battle cruiser deck to where you're not trying to stop right, the game. Right, right, You just are trying to slow everyone down because I was reading that second one, the non-creature spells your opponent's cast cost two more to cast to your next turn. That's basically saying, hey, on turn six, now all of your big mana stuff that you probably wanted to cast cost two more to cast and you can't. It's like board white protection. And so that's actually kind of like right, right, part right. of that build that I see that could be actually a lot of fun. Yeah, for sure. And especially because your commander costs so mm -hmm. little and has flash, you can kind of like sneak her out of nowhere. Uh, the next card I want to talk about, I've seen this. There's some player on Beverstream that swears by this card, and I thought this had a price jump. This one is very sweaty, but depending on who you're playing against, it might actually be good. So Pulse Mage Advocate, two colors and a white for a creature human cleric. Tap, return three target cards from an opponent's graveyard to their hand. Return target creature card from your graveyard to the battlefield. What? Yeah, isn't that kind of wild? It's a so dollar. When I, I know, right? It's crazy. So when I've seen this played, they just return. It's like, okay, so I'm going to give you two lands and then the worst, the worst spell in your thing, like a rampant growth or something like that, where you're like, it's only progressing you, but not really. And then I'm going to get the best card out of my graveyard the best creature card out of my graveyard onto play. It's kind of That's like, insane. I think it works. Wait. Okay. So do, do you feel, we talk a lot about like how cards read versus how they are mm -hmm. played. I think this card reads really weird and kind of bad, but I think that you'll generally have those three targets in multiple graveyards. that you could go after, right? I would think so. I mean, yeah, this card's not going to be good on turn three, like on curve or earlier, that it's going to do nothing for you, but turn six, seven, this seems like probably one of the better mono white cards for to draw a mid to late game. Like I would be right. just as excited to get this as I would like an Avison. It's like, oh, what's in the graveyard? Yeah. What if I had to pitch? Exactly. And you probably have your Avison waiting and ready in the graveyard to come back on the battlefield for just three cards, for just three cards. So this last one uh, I came up with, it's very much a um, it's it's a it's one thing that we really like on the podcast here where it's a modal card for your opponents, right? Um, they choose it's along the same line of factor fiction. And this is to me is going to be like the big ender of the game. So never heard of this card before death or glory hmm. Four colorless and a white for a sorcery. Separate all creature cards in your graveyard into two piles. Exile the pile of an opponent's choice and return the other to the battlefield. So you keep bending these legendary creatures over and over and over again, right? And you're in blue, so you have access to things like Jinka Taxis, um, the giant dinosaur, those sort of things. So late game, there's a giant board wipe or whatever, and you're like, okay, which pile do you want? The one with the Avacyn or the one that has the Elish Nor and yeah. everything else, right? Like these two colors oddly enough, have weird top-end legendary cards that are really strong. And it seems to me this might be a way that you could kind of get yourself back into the game and recover quickly. And you should be able to jigger this to the point where there's really there's no uh, 
it's like some of those other cards where we talk about where your opponents have made a choice. Like you can, you very should easily be able to make your opponents lose no matter which choice they yeah, take. Yeah, that I completely agree with that. I actually run a card in my Jota deck that it's the uh, go get three mono colored cards from your deck. Your opponent chooses one to exile or put on the bottom of your library, and the other two you get to cast for free. And it's like. Uh, right, expropriate, yeah. omniscience, and then you know another double extra turn spell. Like whatever, which one? Yeah. Some some moisture like, or hey, whatever. Get yeah. rid of omniscience. I'm still gonna get like probably five extra turns coming up, and I'm gonna take your permanence. <laughs> uh, <laughs> right. Oh, you want to get rid of this? I'm still gonna get to do that. So that's actually how I read Death and Glory as well. How many decks is this played in? I've never heard of this card. Oh, I know me neither. Right? Like I just I just found it today, and I was like, oh okay. Uh, let's let's take an escucha here, if you will. Uh, Death and glory, and also it is forty four cents. So get ready for the price spike, as what happens whenever we bring up a card on this pro on this here program. A grand total of a hundred and fifty four wow. decks out of two hundred and sixty nine thousand and two hundred and forty one wow. that could run it. That's crazy. It kind of makes me just want to pick up a card, just just pick up a copy of it, and be like. I don't know. I mean, I'm literally on some TCG shank. player right now buying a bunch of copies of the foil um, Pulse Mage Advocate. Oh. <laughs> buying them all, baby. They're mine. Absolutely. Absolutely. So anyways, uh, that's that's the uh, weather report from chugga, 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 Big Tuck Thundering Chariot. Uh, Nyambi Esteemed Speaker. Like I said, that you really have to work hard for this deck to work, but I think it might be an interesting build if you're sick of the other Azorius builds that you already have, none of which are assuredly any good. And with that, we'll kick it back to the Action 4 news desk with Mr. Combo and Big Tuck, who's also me, so I guess I'm a schizophrenic now. Thank you for staying with us, and as always, remember those great giveaways from CMD Tower by retweeting, subscribing, following, liking, sharing, and placing orders at cmdtower.com slash merch. Another way to support your new team is head over to our Patreon, patreon.com slash cmdtower. With war tiers for all the budgets, there is a way that you, the collective, can help. You can stay in touch with the MTG Action 4 News team by following us on our Twitter, our Facebook, and our website, cmdtower. You can communicate directly with the team at cmdtower, at Mr. Commodore 5, all spelled out except for the 5, at Dear Squee, at Big Tuck Tweeting, from your MTG Action 4 News team. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and good Nyambi. <laughs>